the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Those who allowed the evil influence of their day to take their hearts captive. All these three examples, again, to say this. Judah saying, fight for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. Finish well. Do not allow the evil of your day to influence you. This is what happened with the Israelites. This is what happened with the angels. This is what happened with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They allowed the evil of their day to influence them and to turn them away from God. So he gives us those examples. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jude. It's easy to let the evils of today sneak into your life and start believing God would be okay with them. The Israelites, angels, and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah all got caught up in the evil of their day. These buzzworthy issues create hot debates. But as Pastor Gary shares today... You only need to turn to the Bible to find God's stance on the issues. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Don't allow the evil of today to turn you away from the one true God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jude, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The third example he gives is verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over, to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, NIV uses the word perversion, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so the third example he gives uh, from the book of Genesis, Genesis 18 and 19, is the account of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, most of you are familiar with what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, today, now as I talk about this subject, it is counter to what our culture is saying because our culture has now embraced homosexuality as a, quote, normal lifestyle, as just an alternative lifestyle, but the Bible has never seen it that way. In fact, in the book of Romans, God calls it unnatural. Again, NIV uses the word perversion. New King James here says it's going after strange flesh. This is not the way that God designed relationships to be. He designed a relationship between a man and a woman in a heterosexual relationship. And so Sodom and Gomorrah, God destroys. He destroys them on the basis of their sexual sin. 
These were people who started out well, but they didn't finish well. And it was uh, offensive to God. And so again, on a subject like this, where our country has legalized same-sex marriage, and um, where our culture has, for the most part, embraced it as simply an alternative lifestyle, I have to be able to give grace and truth. And the grace is we, we love people who are uh, in same-sex relationships or have same-sex attraction. Uh, the church is welcome to people of all kinds because we all are sinners in need of grace and forgiveness. We also will not shy away from telling the truth because somebody said this to me one time and and it always has stuck with me. They said to me, Gary, one of the highest forms of respect is to tell you the truth. And so I respect you enough to tell you the truth and that God's word has been unwavering on this subject that homosexuality is a sin. But praise God, he can forgive us, deliver us, transform us. In Jude here, he uses this as an example of those who allowed the evil influence of their day to take their hearts captive. All these three examples, again, to say this. Jude is saying, fight for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith finish well. Do not allow the evil of your day to influence you. This is what happened with the Israelites. This is what happened with the angels. This is what happened with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They allowed the evil of their day to influence them and to turn them away from God. So he gives us those examples. Then in verse 8, he says, likewise, also these dreamers, here he is talking about these false prophets again, these false teachers, they defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet, Verse 9, Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, there in verse 9, Michael is mentioned here as the archangel. The word archangel is never mentioned in the plural. There's not another archangel mentioned in the Bible. This is the only archangel. Some people think Gabriel was an archangel. Gabriel was not an archangel. He was a messenger angel, but Michael is the only archangel mentioned in the Bible. He's mentioned four times, twice in the book of Daniel, Daniel 10, Daniel 12. He's also mentioned in Revelation chapter 12, and then here in Jude verse 9. So he gets four mentions uh, in all of the Bible. And this is, this is a peculiar verse, I will tell you. It's the whole idea of what, what does it mean that Michael the archangel was contending, fighting with the devil over the body of Moses. So this is the little that we know. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 34 that Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. Don't feel sorry for Moses because it's a beautiful picture, actually, where Moses represents the law. Joshua, his protege, is the one who will lead the people into the promised land. Joshua in Hebrew, it's a contracted form of the the name Yahashua. It's the same name that Jesus was given. It is a picture of how the law can never take you into the promised land. It is only through Jesus that you will get there. Okay, it's a beautiful picture. But God took care of of Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, 5 and 6, it says that Moses died and God buried him. So what Jude is telling us, a little bit of insight into what happened there during the time of Moses' death, that apparently Satan wanted to somehow take the body of Moses before God would bury it and mutilate it or, or disfigure it in some way to show contempt for Moses and to show contempt for God's people and, and, for, and for God's prophet. 
And so Michael, the archangel, steps in. So this is a scene that is not recorded anywhere else. Jude is giving us a little insight here. That Michael, the archangel, steps in and fights with Satan over the body of Moses. But it's interesting here that, it, that Jude says, even though Michael is this archangel, he doesn't go around, you know, sticking out his chest and thinking, I, I'm going to take the devil down. He actually defers and stands behind the name of the Lord and says, the Lord rebuke you. And I can remember before my pastor Chuck Smith died several years ago that he would always caution us as pastors, don't go around just rebuking Satan, rebuking Satan, rebuking Satan. He said, look at how even Michael the archangel dared not rebuke Satan to his face, but said, the Lord rebuke you. We have to be careful sometimes. And some people would say, well, wait a minute, you know, Michael doesn't walk in in the same, you know, grace and and power as a redeemed believer. Uh, um, Okay, I understand in terms of relationship with Christ, I'm never going to mess with an archangel. I can tell you that much. And, and if an archangel, if the archangel dared not dispute with Moses, but instead he said, the Lord rebuke you, and, and he invoked the name of the Lord, we, we ought to be careful. Don't, don't go around rebuking demons under every bush. Just, just stand in who Jesus is, and if you need to, rebuke in the name of the Lord, say, the Lord rebuke you. But we we better know our place behind the name of the Lord. Verse 10, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves, talking again about these false teachers. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So now what he's going to do is he's going to give three examples to indict these false teachers, and he's going to compare them in the Old Testament to Old Testament examples. And the first one he says here is like, they've taken the way of Cain. Now, Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. His story is recorded in Genesis chapter 4. The Bible says that Cain tilled the ground. He he was a, a man of the soil. It says that Abel, his younger brother, was a man of the flocks. And when it came time to present offering to the Lord, Abel brought an offering from the flocks. Cain brought an offering from the produce of the land. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. Now, there's, there's some debate. You know, why did he accept one and, and reject the other? Probably because Abel is presenting a blood sacrifice. It is an inference to us that God had already prescribed that the way that you get to me following sin, because they've been already expelled out of the Garden of Eden. Man has already sinned. The human race has already been tainted by sin. That the way you approach me is through the sacrifice of an animal. It's a blood sacrifice. And that's what Abel presented, and Cain did not. Cain did not follow God's prescriptive way to get to God. There's no other way to get to God except God's prescribed way. And in the Old Testament, God made a a way possible through the sacrifice of animals. But then in the New Testament, Jesus comes, dies on a cross. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming to be baptized, said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Because Jesus came as the perfect Lamb to offer his life as a sacrifice, replacing and fulfilling all the Old Testament sacrificial system. By his blood are we saved. By his stripes are we healed, you see. And so God had prescribed a method in the Old Testament until such time that Jesus could be revealed in the New Testament, and thus Jesus is the only way to be saved now. But that prescribed method was already active in Genesis chapter 4. And Cain did not bring the blood sacrifice. He brought I'm just going to give him what I want to give him. I'm going to give him the fruit of my own labor. No, 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 no. That's works, Cain. 
You can't come to God by works. You have to come to God by the sacrifice. But in addition, in Hebrews chapter 11, Abel is mentioned as a man of faith, which infers to us that Abel presented his sacrifice by faith and Cain had unbelief. He didn't believe that this was a a proper way to connect and commune with God. So Abel is commended for his faith, even though in the end, of course, tragically, Cain kills Abel. We know this. But that's one of the things that these false teachers are are compared to. Cain exhibited self-righteousness. I can come in my own righteousness. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to present my own offering here. I I don't have to come God's prescribed way. That's self-righteousness. And so Jude is comparing these false teachers to the way of Cain, saying they're self-righteous. Then he compared there in verse 11 also to the error of Balaam. Now, this story is in Numbers chapters uh, 22 to 24, and it's when Balak, the king of Moab, uh, was fighting with the Israelites and knew he was um, outmaneuvered because the Israelites had God on their side. And so Balak hires this kind of wacky prophet by the name of Balaam. You come and you curse God's people. I will pay you. And in Numbers, between chapters 22 and 24, one of those chapters, it says that they paid him the fee of divination. It was all about the money. So Balaam came for the money, and in fact, two words indicating money is found there in verse 11. You look back at your Bibles, they have run greedily, greed, in the error of Balaam for profit. So he's saying these false teachers were not in it with right motives, they were in it for the money. They would get money from people to do what they did. And perished, the third example, perished in rebellion of Korah. So the third example he draws from Numbers chapter 16. Korah was a leader among the Israelites. Korah went to Moses one day, and basically, I'm paraphrasing number 16, but basically said, Moses, you know, I, I, know, I know you're selected by God, but, you know, you're not all that. Um, you know, we, we can hear from God too, and, you know, even your sister Miriam, your brother Moses, you know, the three of you, listen, you're just, you're, you're a little too full of yourselves. Um, we, we need to have a share in leadership here. And, you know, God overhears this. And long story short, God says to Moses, Tell Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, these are other cohorts in crime, tell them to come near to the, to the tabernacle, and, and I'm going to speak to them. And so they all gather together, and when they're there the next day, God says to Moses, now, Moses, I, I just want you to step aside. Step aside, Moses. And Moses is like, why? Step aside. Because I'm about to smoke these people. And the Bible says God opened up the earth and swallowed them. Okay, not a good way to go. Not a good way to go. But they were rebellious. And so Jude is saying these teachers here, they're self-righteous, they're greedy, they are rebellious. Verse 12, these are spots in your love feasts. They would have these agape feasts where they would break bread together, they would share communion. He says, these guys, are, they're blemishes in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You read this and you just want to stop and say, hey, Jew, don't make it bad. You know, anyway, so, but... He's taking a sad song, and he's going to make it better here. Just hang, hang with me, because he's going to make it better. It gets better here. But verse 14, he says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. This is speaking about the return of the Lord, Revelation 19. To execute judgment on all, 
to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Jude refers to Enoch here as a prophet, which is unusual because we don't think of him necessarily as, as a prophet like that. Um, but, but Enoch was a righteous man. And Enoch is mentioned also in Hebrews chapter 11. God just snatched him up bodily up to heaven. But Enoch uh, spoke about uh, judgment coming for false teachers. Verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers. You get the idea what Jude thinks here, right, about all these people. Walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons. We think of sensual as sexual. It doesn't mean it that way in the context. He means these are people who rely on their senses. They're, They're physically minded, not spiritually minded, who cause divisions not having the Spirit. So he's even saying these people aren't even saved. Now look here, verses 20 to 23, he's going to talk about here's our responsibility, and then he's going to tell us what God's going to do, what God's responsibility is, what what God says he will do. But here's our part, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So basically what he's saying to us here is, listen, we have a responsibility to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. It's important. Read your Bibles, pray, commune with God, connect with Him, worship. You know, guard your hearts, guard your minds, guard your lives, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, I, there's different interpretations. What exactly does that mean, praying in the Holy Spirit? I believe that this particular passage uh, is, a, is a little bit different. Romans 8, 26 talks about how the, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Romans 8.26 is speaking about how there are times, and I think most of not all of us can relate to this, there are times when you will be so distraught, anxious, fearful, whatever it might be, grieving, you don't even have words. You ever been like that, where you're just like, your face planted in the carpet, weeping, and you don't even have words, you don't even know how to pray. That's Romans 8.26. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit will translate our thoughts, intentions, emotion, and heart, translate it to the heart of God, and we don't even have to speak. That's Romans 8.26. This here, praying in the Holy Spirit, I do believe is connected to the gift of the Holy Spirit and the particular gift of the Holy Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 having to do with the gift of tongues. Now, not everybody has to receive the gift of tongues. God distributes the gifts liberally as he wills. The gift of tongues is not the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is an evidence. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is 1 Corinthians 13, which is love. 
That is the real evidence that somebody is filled with the Spirit of God, when you have the love of Jesus that just drips out of your, out of your life because it's evidence that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. But if God has given you that gift, and it can still be exercised today, I, I don't believe that the gifts petered out with Peter, okay? But that they are still operational today. If you have that particular gift, the gift of tongues is a language that is always unknown to the one speaking, but it is a known language somewhere and may even be a known language in heaven, but God knows all languages. And so as he gives that particular gift, that individual is able to pray in a language not familiar to that individual, but it bypasses the limitation of language to connect with the heart of God. What do I mean? Words are a wonderful thing. And words are important, but words are also limited. Have you ever gotten into, I won't say disagreement, just um, a friendly interaction with your spouse? And in the course of trying to have a conversation, it escalates because you're, you're not connecting with the words. That's not what I meant. That's, what I meant was this. No, that is what you said. No, that is what I said. What I said was, what I, and have you ever had one of those? Come on, make me feel better, friends. Come on. <laughs> And so what happens is you realize the limitation of language. If only, if only my words meant exactly what I believe them to mean and you could receive them. So words are wonderful, but they also have limitation. And so this particular gift bypasses the limitation of language because it's never known to the individual and it communes and connects with God. I don't have time to go into that particular gift more than that, but I believe that that's what he's referring to here in this passage of praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves there, verse 21, in the love of God. And then in verse 22 and 23, he talks about looking out for others. He says, have compassion, verse 22, on some making a distinction. Now, the NIV says, be merciful to those who doubt. The idea of making a distinction are those who are trying to distinguish between, should I really follow God or shouldn't I? I, I, I believe him some days and other days I don't. Is he really real? I think he is, but then other days I don't. And so he says to those of us who are believers, have compassion on those people. Pray for them, walk with them, encourage them, help them, um, disciple them, mentor them. And he says, but, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating them in the garment defiled by the flesh. He said, there are other people, they got the smell of smoke on their clothes because they're playing with fire. And they're more than just, I'm not sure, is God really real? They're like, they're like indulging the flesh and they're living in the world. And he says, go after them as if snatching them from the fire. Go after them, snatching them from the fire. And then here's what God says, this is what he will do. And, and, and Jude ends with like this benediction here, verse 24. Now to him, that's the Lord, who is able to keep you, to keep you from stumbling. Aren't you glad that God's able to help us not stumble? To keep you from stumbling and to pick us up, by the way, when we do stumble. And to present you faultless, faultless. Not because we're sinless, but because of what Christ has done for us. Our, our record of sin has been expunged. As far as God is concerned, we can stand faultless before him because we come in the name of Jesus, present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And everybody said... 
Amen. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary Hamrick for this study in the book of Jude. Pastor Gary has been teaching through this short New Testament letter, encouraging you to stand up for the truth of God's Word. Jude reminds its listeners that there are people in this world who will try to pass their own theology off as reality. These false teachers can lead people away from God, but you can know their deception. Spend time in the Word often and get to know your Creator through its text. The more you know, the easier it will be to spot the lies. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to connect and learn more about this ministry. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, you're welcome to join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting in person and online, and you can find all the information you need on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. How can we be praying for you? Let us know by calling us at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Gary and the team at Cornerstone Connection in your prayers as we continue to follow God's leading for this program. Please pray too that your fellow listeners would hear the gospel message and respond. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. But still you know, but still you know, you're not.